Good afternoon, everyone. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm not going to be presumptuous and sit here and say, or stand here and say, that uh, this is what I must do to inherit eternal life. This is a question that Christ was asked on two occasions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and there was also a jailer who asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? So what we're going to do this afternoon is to look at these passages. Uh, the two occasions that Christ was asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? For those that uh, were observant, you've noticed that in uh, the chapter that's, or passage we've read this afternoon, it's also recorded in uh, Matthew 19 and also in Luke chapter 18. But before we look at uh, Mark 10, rendering of it, we'll look at the other occasion that Christ was asked the question. And we read that in Luke chapter 10. And it was uh, following on from uh, Christ being asked that question, we then have the parable of the Good Samaritan, of which I trust uh, we at least know a little bit about. So we look at Luke chapter 10, uh, and we'll go in and uh, at verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, we read that, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, that is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So here this question has been asked as a means to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> but that doesn't deter Christ at all. Look what he says. Verse 26, he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. And thy, and thy neighbour as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou stands right to do this, and thou shalt live. But he, as the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbour? And we then have the parable of the Good Samaritan to explain who the neighbour is. But certainly in the initial response to this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We have, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. And then we have the parable of the Good Samaritans too, who is thy neighbour? And remember that in the parable there is a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem, where the temple is, place dwelling in the temple, dwelling place for God, where you, you met with God and worshipped him. Going down into Jericho, being symbolic of going from righteousness to sin. We have a priest who then sees this, this man who's been taken by the thieves 
Robin left by the wayside. He's lying on the ground and a priest comes by. A priest who deals with sacrificial law and uh, the worship of God. He walks by. He didn't want to become defiled by this poor man who'd been taken by thieves. And then there was a Levite associated with the moral law within the land. He likewise walked by. So the sacrificial law and the moral law didn't save the man. Then a Samaritan came and took care of him. He paid two pence to an innkeeper to look after him, went away and said, when he returned, I'll pay whatever else needs to be paid for him to be recovered to good health. Now two pence was also equivalent to the half shekel of the sanctuary. The price of atonement was paid by the children of Israel where the nation was counted. Yes, the half shekel was the price paid for atonement. When we think about ourselves, what is the price that's paid for our atonement? It is a sacrifice for our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this parable, we are shown that the sacrificial law, the moral law can't save us, but we are saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to look at John, some refer to him as being a Samaritan. But with this in mind, when we look back at the question as to what shall I do to inherit eternal life, the response, to the, Lord, the response was that you shall love the Lord with all thy heart, soul, mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. And if we do this, then we shall live, is what we're told. So if, to, if the Good Samaritan here is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is who the neighbour is, then we've been told that we should love the Lord thy God with all our heart, soul, mind, and the Lord Jesus Christ as ourself. That's the focus of our lives. So now let's turn our thoughts to reading that we've looked at from Mark chapter 10. And here we have a rich young ruler. And he wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And we see that it's important to him. He's just not come up casually to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, what shall I do? And the question that's sort of, by the way, we find that the man has come running in verse 17. That when he, as Jesus, was was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we can imagine this young ruler coming and asking this question, What can I do? What must I do? With keenness. 
Initially we see that Jesus says, why callest thou me good? There's one good, there's none good but one, and that is God. But then Jesus goes on and says to this rich young ruler, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honour thy father and thy mother. You can imagine this rich young ruler hearing these words and thinking, well, these things I do. And he says in verse 20, he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I observed from my youth. You can just imagine the action of within, within, within this young man. In verse 21 we read that Jesus beholding him, he loved him. Yes, Jesus loved this young man. And then says, but one thing thou lackest. I said, Jesus loved this man. He didn't turn a blind eye. He says, look, there's one thing that you lack. You seek eternal life. But there's one thing that thou lackest. It's not an easy option for the man. But the Lord Jesus Christ tells him. And if we carry on reading down through the verse, it says, Go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast. And give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. But he didn't just stop there. He goes on and says, And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Yes, it wasn't going to be easy, but he was to give the riches that he had, he was a rich young lord, he was to sell them off, get rid of them. And come, take up the cross and follow Christ. As we see in verse 22, that he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. But if, let's just look at the margin for this aspect. Take up the cross and follow me. I've got a reference back to uh, chapter 8 and verse 34. Once again, this is Jesus speaking and says, When he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Yes, in following Christ, there is a denial of ourself. There is no longer thinking of ourself first the riches that we have, the possessions, the things we want to do. But it is taking up the cross and following Christ, walking Christ's ways and the ways of our Heavenly Father. Just going back to chapter 10, it's also interesting to note in the passing, uh, so we read down through the, the chapters to the, the occasion of the time, we move down to verse 33 and we read it saying Behold we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking speaking of himself we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto chief priests unto scribes 
and, he shall, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles and they shall mock him and scourge him and shall spit upon him and they shall kill him and the third day he shall rise again. Here's Christ talking to him about the own cross that he used to be on. On this occasion, this is the cross that he was to hang upon. That he was to die, they would kill him, but yet the third day he would rise again. So there is hope there. And the Lord Jesus Christ is now to God's right hand. He has everlasting life. And then moving down to verse 38, that Jesus said unto him, he know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptised with the baptism of time baptised of? This is to disciples that wanted to sit in the right hand and the left hand when he comes in his kingdom. But we see that there's a cross and also we have baptism, a reference to baptism here. And just going back to to verse 23 we've already seen in verse 22 that the rich man went to be grieved because he had great possessions in verse 23 that Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God and the disciples were astonished at his words but Jesus answered again and said unto them children how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Yes, with riches, there's a tendency to trust in the riches. So the question is, where is our trust? Is it a trust in riches and the things of man or the things of God? And it goes on as we move down to verse 26. They were astonished, out of measure, saying amongst themselves, Who then can be saved? Yes, who then can be saved? How do you, lead, how do you read the Lord Jesus' response? Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible Yes, in ourselves, we cannot be saved. But not with God, for with God, all things are possible. Yes, they were concerned because they've been told that they were not to trust in the riches. They're saying, who then can be saved? But we can look at our Lord's response and we see that with God these things are possible because he has provided a way through our Lord Jesus Christ not a twin sacrifice but yet we can also look at it with God by our side and with God's strength then we can also overcome temptations that come our way so God has provided the way but also with God's help, we can overcome. Remember what we read in John chapter 3 and verse 16. 
that God so loved the Son, his, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should, in him should not perish. Well, let's just turn to John chapter 3 and we'll see that verse in context. John chapter 3 we're going at verse 14 and here it's referring back to uh, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and there were serpents that if they were bitten then they would die but if they looked upon a serpent that was on a pole then they would live and so we read in verse 14 as Moses lift up the, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So as they looked unto the serpent and were healed, so we look unto Christ, the saving grace that we have through the atonement, through his crucifixion. And then it reads in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17, For God sent it, not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, to, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, we're saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we also turn our Attention to Romans chapter 5. We read there in verse 8 that God commendeth his love towards us that while we are yet sinners as each one of us are. Not one of us is any better than the other. We are all sinners. But it says there that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, Christ died for you and I. As we read on down that much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. Let's turn our thoughts now to the jailer that we read of in Acts chapter 16. We have Paul and Silas there in prison. It's night and there's an earthquake and their chains are loosed. So it's Acts chapter 16 
And we'll go in at verse 25. We read that at midnight Paul and Silas, who were in prison, prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought him out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Yes, he recognised there was something special with Paul and Silas. Indeed, he's seeking guidance from them as to what he must do to be saved. And as we read on, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they speak unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptised, he and all his straightway. So here we see that to further salvation, that to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we also see that in response to that they were also baptised. This was instruction that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his disciples uh, after his crucifixion, before his ascension. Let's look back to the Gospel of Mark. And this is one of the last instructions that he gave his disciples. Mark chapter 16. That's he, that's Jesus, said unto them, that's the disciples, Go into all the world. And what was it to do? They were to preach the gospel to every creature. That good news of the kingdom of God was what they were to preach. Yes, they were to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And then it says in verse 16, He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. <coughs> so there's a belief a belief in the gospel, that gospel message, an understanding that salvation was through the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Christ was raised to newness of life, everlasting life, awaiting the appointed day in which he would return to establish God's kingdom upon this earth. All that's encapsulated within the gospel. And we've been told here that believeth in this and is baptised will be saved. We've already seen that 
that Paul and Silas were baptising those that, that understood and believed in the gospel. But it wasn't just Paul. If you go back to Acts, we read of Philip. And if you read through, through the epistles, we see that baptism, belief in baptism, is prominent amongst all the believers. We have the day of Pentecost, 3,000 believing and being baptised. But here we'll look at Philip in Acts chapter 8. Now, I know baptism is a subject that will be dealt with on a regular basis from this platform, so we're not going to go into it in too much detail. But we see in verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ there, so as a preaching of Christ to the people. And in verse 12, we read that when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. This baptism was important to those that believed the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we move on down through the chapter, Philip is with the Ethiopian eunuch, who has been reading it as they and not understanding it, and Philip's explained it to him as to what it all meant. And when we look at verse 35, that Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they came their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptised? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And then we read that when they were come out of the water, out of the, water the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. But we see here that Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and in was necessary and baptism in being saved. So the question isn't what shall I do to inherit eternal life, but what shall we do to inherit eternal life? Certainly I can't inherit eternal life for you and you can't for me. From that point of view it's an individual thing. But what shall we do to inherit eternal life? As we note, it says inherit. It's not something that we can achieve by works. Instead, it's by belief in Christ, his atoning sacrifice, and taking up the cross and following him. By being baptised into Christ. We could look at Romans chapter 6. It deals with baptism and its significance. How you associate yourself with the death of Christ as you are buried in the water 
and with his resurrection as he came out of the water. But let's look at the last verse of that chapter, Romans chapter 6. It says, the wages of sin is death. Well, it made reference to each one of us being sinful. So it is that we die. But look what it says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need Christ in our lives if we've got any hope in the everlasting life. We must believe in him in the gospel, be baptised into his name and walk in God's ways.